passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the UFC 242 Post Show. I'm John Pollock, along with Phil Chertok, easily coming at you uh, at our earliest. And I've got to say that even though this was an afternoon show, uh, I was delayed. So we are later than we needed to be. But still, Phil, I'm chatting with you at uh, 9.15 on a Saturday night. This is insanity. I feel like I've barely been awake for an entire day. You're a wild man. I'm sure you're going to be out (laughs) clubbing tonight. I mean, the night is very young for Phil. I will be going straight to bed because I am under the weather. My, uh, I am being taken over by a nasty cold. So I'm miserable. But Phil, you're just, uh, blossoming into the weekend fun. Well, I mean, uh, I do have some responsibilities here. So, uh, like I have my daughter with me, so I won't be hitting the club tonight, but, uh, we're, we need to rest up because we've got a big day planned at Center Island tomorrow. So, Ooh, yeah, get, so. getting in there right as the summer is rapidly coming to a much chillier close. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sweater weather. What, uh, See, me and my wife took our, our two-year-old to the CNE last uh, Labor Day on oh. Monday. Oh, I feel bad for you. It was it was all right. He went on he went on a, a handful of rides. I took him on the Bumblebee ride, which he was not a fan of. Oh. But then he went down one of those giant slides, the one where you get into the uh, into like the big bag that they give you. He, yes, he loved that. He was a big fan of that. Okay, okay, he wasn't too busy over there. It wasn't crazy. We got there right as it opened, so we had like ah. a, I'd say, ninety-minute grace period before it got really intense, and then we were out of there. Okay. But, uh, we figured Canada's Wonderland doesn't seem like it gets a great review for young children. So no, I like no. CNE is a more practical, both location-wise and price-wise. So that is what we tried. But Center Island, uh, we have taken him to as well, but not done any rides or stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know if they have anything. They have a few for like really young kids. Uh, one thing I remember doing with my kid when she was young is I took her to the Markham Fair, you know, so she could just okay. like go to, you know, pet the animals and that. And like they have like... They have like little events and shows, so it's kind of exciting for little ones. Of course, as they get older, you get to do more with them, and it's it's fun. But when they're young, you're really excited to to show them things for the first time. Well, on this particular Saturday, we had UFC 242, uh, a rare afternoon pay per view. Uh, what was your feeling on just this particular time slot for a UFC pay per view? Because I kind of liked it. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I like, uh, like, I don't like devoting my entire evening, especially on the weekend, always to the UFC. I do love the UFC and the big events, 
but I also like to have my own life and a lot of things happen on the weekend considering that's when friends want to get together. So, and even though I'm not necessarily doing anything uh, like that today, uh, I love that option. I used to love it when they had Sunday night cards. Uh, I thought that's a great time slot because everybody's already home on a Sunday night and, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I was looking forward to it. I mean, it wasn't, uh, uh, the deepest card, uh, in terms of like known names. There were some really skilled fighters who are going to make a name in the future. But, uh, I was okay with, uh, you know, catching it early and then having, uh, my day to myself. All right. So this is going to be, uh, a shortened review because we're going to be going through the pay-per-view main card, but just uh, looking through the results here from the undercard from uh, earlier, uh, we had Don Madge over Ferris Ziem by unanimous decision and Omari Akhmedov defeating Zach Cummings by unanimous decision. Those opened on Fight Pass. I did get to see those two fights. Uh, if you missed them, congratulations. Uh, Muslim Salikov knocked out Nordin Taleb in 426 of the first round. Bilal Muhammad submitted Takashi Sato in 155 of the third round. Then we went on to the televised prelims, um, airing on FX in the U.S., TSN3 in Canada, getting the TSN3 treatment, Phil. I mean, look, it was a busy day uh, in Canada for uh, sports. It was exciting. So uh, an event in Abu Dhabi wasn't at the top of the priority list for TSN today. Well, if you were not watching tennis and you saw Otman Azatar defeat Timu Pakalan by knockout, 333 of the first round, Sarah Morris, who actually missed weight coming into this uh, bantamweight fight, defeated Liana Jojua by TKO, 226 of the third round, Zubera Tahugov over Larone Murphy by split, uh, they actually fought to a split draw, actually. This was, uh, 29-28 both ways, and then the third judge had it 28-28, so we did not get a winner between those two. And then the featured prelim, Joanne Calderwood defeating Andrea Lee by split decision, uh, scores of 30-27, 29-28 for Calderwood, and one judge favoring Andrea Lee, 29-28. But, Bill, we are diving into the pay-per-view portion tonight, and things kicked off with Diego Fajaya taking on Merbek Tysimov, and Tysimov was a... Uh, a rather significant favorite going into this fight. He had won his last six fights, uh, but he's only fought three times since April of 2016. Last time we saw him was September of last year when he defeated Des Green, was a minus 280 favorite against uh, Fajera, who had won his last four fights, defeating Olivier Aubon-Mercier, Jared Gordon, Kyle Nelson, and Rustam Habalov earlier this year. And at one point during this fight, they said that the temperature was... 99 Fahrenheit, but feels like 123. And this was a consistent theme throughout the broadcast. They were in a makeshift arena, and it did have a roof on top of it, but it just sounded like the heat inside was incredible for these athletes and the spectators. Yeah, uh, you wonder how much of an effect it had on certain fighters. Uh, in this fight in particular, uh, you had, uh, in the first fight rather, in particular, you had a clear... Uh, you know, one person faded while the other one, uh, sort of took over and had good cardio at the end, but it didn't really seem to make any obvious impact other than the frequent comments from, uh, the men in the booth. The guys in the suits. 
They were the ones complaining the most. <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't see any one performance on this main card, at least, where it really seemed to be a, a noticeable effect. But um, the first round w- was very, very close. Uh, Fahera landed more strikes, but Tysimov seemed to land the best strike with that right hand that kind of uh, wobbled uh, Fahera. But then in the second and third, this was all Diego Fajera. He was using his jab. He was pressuring him with right hands throughout. And his conditioning was just through the roof in these uh, latter two rounds. Into the third, we went. And uh, to look at the output here, in the first round, it was 27-17 in favor of Fajera with significant strikes. Uh, fast forward to the second round. It was a margin of 55-13, and in the third round, 79-21. to So huge output uh, from Fajera. And I went so far as to give him a 10-8 in the third because he was just um, nonstop here. And he was also mixing up his shots a lot where he was going to the body. He was going to the leg. Uh, he threw some head kicks in there as well and never um, took his foot off the gas here. Tysimov just seemed to be throwing whatever he could, but he had no answer here. Uh, Fajera won by unanimous decision. 29-28 and two scores of 29-27. Your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, it was very impressive that Fahea could uh, continue to march forward. He actually did something that uh, you don't often see in a fight. He listened to his corner. Uh, he went to his corner uh, after the first round. I also had him losing 10-9 because Tysimov had the biggest shot that kind of wobbled him. But his corner said, hey, you need to eat those leg kicks and just keep marching forward and and, and just keep pressuring him. And that's what he, he did. And he started mixing things up. And and then, yeah, by the end of the round three, he was really pouring it on, landing almost at will, up top, landing head kicks, and really uh, made a very impressive statement with a tremendous output in this fight. I, I thought he had one of the more um, unassuming performances uh, in terms of if you were looking up and down this card of someone who came out, I think really uh, up his stock at 155 pounds, won his fifth fight in a row coming out of this. And as we mentioned, Tysimov had won six straight coming into this one. So notable win here for Fajera. Heavyweight bout was next with Curtis Blades and Shamil Abdurahimov. And Curtis Blades has just been on a tear of late. He's won five of six, including wins over... Mark Hunt, Alistair Overeem. Then he had the the 45-second loss to Francis Ngannou and then last fought against Justin Willis earlier this year. Uh, he was a huge favorite coming into this at minus 550. Uh, Abdurahimov, uh, seven fights so far in the UFC with a 5-2 and two record. And he had last fought. Uh, he's coming off of three wins over Chase Sherman, Andre Arlovsky, and Marcin Tybora. First round. It was uh, Blades getting several takedowns, moving to side control, and then mounting Abdurahimov right at the end and landing these huge elbows. So it was a pretty dominant round from Curtis Blades. And again, kind of flexing his wrestling skill that we've seen of late over his last couple of fights. Uh, into the second, he continued with takedowns, and then he landed this monstrous elbow that uh, destroyed the nose of Abdurahimov. And Mark Goddard was taking a close look at this. He went to grab his nose, and then Blades landed one more right hand, and that was it. Goddard just stepped in, stopped the fight at 222 of the second round, and Curtis Blades improves to 12-2, and has now won six of his last seven, and definitely a upper echelon movement for Curtis Blades within this heavyweight division. This guy is a real player at this division. 
Yeah, his his wrestling is tremendous. He's able to constantly take uh, sort of like this sort of single hook in uh, riding position, classic wrestling riding position. He's able to really do a tremendous job of controlling the wrists and that prevents uh that prevented Shamil in this fight from ever getting up or getting out and he's starting to also uh land some vicious ground and pound you know those 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 elbows are devastating as we saw in this fight in uh the fight with uh Alistair Overeem and he he's really putting it uh, together He's got that sort of hump of Francis Ngannou, and uh, he may, you know, never get a chance to get over that. But outside of him, he he really looks like he could go against anyone in the top of the division. I'm very curious what Curtis Blades draws next, because you would look at him and somebody like a Junior Dos Santos maybe jumps out at you. I mean, it's going to be a very, very big heavyweight he gets next, um, and... uh you know, I, I would say that he, he's maybe on on that short list too. That if for whatever reason they don't go to, uh, you know, Daniel Cormier has a decision to make, and that would probably be the the front runner for the next fight. Francis Ngannou is probably next in line, uh, but who knows how things can shake out? But where Curtis Blades finds himself, this guy could be one fight away from fighting for a championship sometime in 2020. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible. He he's as you mentioned, he has big wins. The only thing is it's not the most exciting style, but heavyweight is uh thin on talent and so uh people like to see the big boys throw down. So, yeah, I I wouldn't I expect him to get a pretty marquee position for his next fight. Islam Makachev versus Davi Hamosh was our lightweight fight next on the card here. And there was a huge support uh, for Makachev, who trains, of course, with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who would be headlining this card. And, I mean, this was a fight that it did uh, not the most entertaining fight in the world, but certainly a very strategic one from uh, Makachev. I thought he did enough to win the first two rounds. Uh, wasn't... Um, wasn't the most entertaining of rounds either, but it just seemed that he was able to use his left hands offset by the jab of uh, Hamosh in the second. I had him up both rounds, uh, 10-9, going into the third, and that's when Makachev landed this knee from the clinch and just dropped Hamosh, got on top with strikes, and Hamosh pulled guard, and that is pretty much where we got the rest of this fight uh, for the rest of it, with uh, Makachev putting pressure on him, dropping strikes. Um, I thought this was enough for a 10-8, so I had it 30-26 for Makachev. How did you score this fight? And uh, he gets the unanimous decision victory here. I had it 30-27. I definitely could see a 10-8 in that third. Uh, I had the second round actually pretty convincingly for him. I thought mm-hmm. the first round they were sort of just like circling and nothing really happened. But in the second round, he really established, he, he just built up a lead by landing a lot more shots. He had pretty good footwork in this. That was what I was sort of keeping on. It, it seemed like he was intentionally trying to test his boxing here. It like it, it felt like he was he could have gone for the takedown earlier. You know, he his ability to control him in the third round was very clear. He held him perfectly against the cage to not give uh Ramos any opportunities to try for any real submissions. And it just sort of felt like he was just sort of yeah, using the ring time to the maximum. Uh Makachev improves to eighteen and one. He's got a, a- 
kind of one of those guys that really flies under the radar. Just this is now his sixth consecutive win in the UFC. And there, there was a lot of that on this card, Phil, where you had guys with like these really impressive runs that they're on, but really are not in the spotlight that I, I think that people are just not necessarily uh, when you think the top of the division uh, Islam Makachev, like he just slowly and surely is putting wins together. Uh, but I don't know if people are necessarily clamoring for him to be getting uh, some of those top fights at 155 pounds. I agree that uh, people aren't clamoring for that. Um, a lot of these sort of uh, Dagestani or uh, Russian Republic fighters, uh, you know, they're sort we, we've always known about how tough they are, but now they're sort of emerging in more of like a, like not as like a collective, right? We want to, we want to know about the individuals. And even this week, uh, through some of the embedded, you could see Islam in his, uh, in the embedded videos. He's learning English. He's getting better mm-hmm. at English. And so if the UFC is going to have more of a presence in this area and we're going to feature these fighters and we know they're terrific fighters, then yeah, let's get the personalities out there so that, uh, you know, people are clamoring to see them because as, as Habib has shown us, you, you know, you don't have to have that traditionally exciting style of knocking people out, right? Standing up. You, there, there's a lot of ways that you can um, become popular. And I think if Islam continues to win, continues to beat the top of the division, um, it's inevitable that he gets the top fights and, and a chance to make a run at the belt. Yeah, he's got some uh, impressive wins at lightweight when you have names like Chris Wade, Nick Lentz, Glayson Tebow, like not easy outs at 155 pounds. And uh, Dobby Hamosh as well. This is a guy who had won his last four. So uh, now Makachev improves to 18 and one. The co-feature on the card featured a rematch from July of 2015 between Edson Barboza and Paul Felder. In the fight from four years ago, it was Barboza winning by unanimous decision. Uh, This time we had... Uh, some interesting scores by the end of this. I thought this was an excellent fight. First round saw Barbosa coming out and just lightning fast quicks, uh, lightning fast kicks, uh, delivered to his calves, to the legs, to the body. Um, they hit heads at one point and Felder got cut and complained about the headbutt and, both guys are just throwing bombs at one another, but I thought it was really the kicks of Barbosa that cemented this round for him. Into the second, we had a, a very close round. Felder uh, came out and was just hitting some great combinations. Barbosa is sticking with his kicks in response and just has the speed advantage, and that was pretty evident. Um, Barbosa did get this double leg takedown, but then in a significant uh, part of the the round felder on his back just attacked barbosa with these elbow strikes cutting open barbosa at one point as well uh very very close round and then in the third um this was a really strong paul felder round where he's going to the body he's throwing his combinations barbosa did land a spinning back fist and then felder went back to his jabs he stopped the takedown and just kind of kept landing at the higher rate and this was the widest margin when it came to significant strikes for any of the rounds Felder ahead 31-19 after this third round. And then the judges' scorecards. Get ready for this one. 30-27 Barbosa. 29-28 Felder. 30-27 Felder. And the rule out there, if you have 30-27s in opposite directions, some weird stuff was going on here. But, Paul, uh, Phil, I want to know how you scored this fight. Was it for Edson Barbosa or Paul Felder? So I scored this fight 
uh, for Edson Barbosa. I gave him the first and the second round. The third round was, I think, clearly for Felder. I think it was the most clear round of all of them. So the idea that he didn't win that is kind of crazy. I didn't have a big problem with the uh, decision. The second round was a close round. Barbosa got the takedown. And it sort of looked like that was actually a bad move for him because uh, Felder was doing such a great job of uh, punishing him with elbows. But he didn't, the round didn't end that there and he did land some more shots. It, it was, it was a toss up. It, round two, I think, is where it comes down to in this fight. And one thing I got to say about Paul Felder, he was tremendous, uh, throughout the fight in that it felt like, uh, Barbosa was a little sharper, like he just was quicker than him. But any time that Barbosa would do something, land a kick or a particularly low kick or a body kick, the next time that Barbosa would throw it, he had a counter, he had a check, he had some answer for it. So he, he always made uh, Barbosa pay and he, he did a, a good job of adjusting as the fight went on. And one last thing, Barbosa has this weird style where he always look like, looks like he's rocked. You know, I never know if he's actually been hurt by a shot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the, um, it, it, it's something that I, I think people, uh, look at with, with Barbosa where I, I understand what you mean without being able to necessarily put my thumb on it in, in words. I totally understand what you're, you're saying about him. Yeah. It's like, but it was, it, yeah. Um, I thought this was one of Felder's best performances. I, I did go 29-28 for Felder. I think the second was – you could go either way. That's why I thought 30-27 for either guy was really hard to justify. I think that the first round was pretty pretty solid Barboza round, and I thought the third was 100% a Paul Felder round. So to me, it came down to the second, however you read that. Um, this, this to me was uh, the best fight on this main card that we watched, and – Paul Felder, it was interesting because afterwards, he did this great interview with John Anik afterwards. He's thanking his mom, his daughter, and he says he wants a top five guy at lightweight or else why am I doing this? I could be a broadcaster. I could be an actor. But also mentioned that he had one of the worst weight cuts of his life this past week, uh, getting down to 155. And he's in this tough position because he's now won uh, five of his last six fights. That lone loss was where he went up to welterweight had a normal weight cut and he lost by split decision to Mike Perry. And for him, it's probably healthiest to go to welterweight, but really hard to justify when you have just come off a win over James Vick, when you've just beat Edson Barbosa that, I mean, he's having a ton of success at lightweight and is probably on the cusp of something very big now at lightweight. I can see him uh, getting somewhere near that top five, if not just outside of there for his next fight. But it, it's a big cut for this guy down to 155. Yeah, it looks like it's very difficult for him. Um, he uh, He's definitely near the top five. I mean, the fact that he is a commentator uh, gives the UFC a lot of incentive to put him in major fights. So I fully expect his next fight to be a top five opponent like he's been asking for. I mean, maybe he's... What, a, what if Justin Gaethje beats uh, Donald Cerrone? Now? Obviously, he's not going to be fighting uh, Donald Cerrone. Why doesn't but he, it, how about he fights Conor McGregor? Like, that seems like that kind of, you know, Conor needs... Do you think that's a fight they would make, but they would put Paul Felder in that big of a role? It, it doesn't seem like there's a... I mean... 
The only other guy who's sort of like a big name that you could put him with is, I think, Cowboy. I mean, Gaethje would be good, but is he any bigger of a name than than Felder? I don't think so. I think Felder has more exposure through the through his broadcasting. I mean, I, um, so uh, it's possible. I mean, at this point, based on McGregor's last interview, it seems like they just sort of want to just get him anybody and get him back in there just to get him, you know, back in the mix. If it's just getting a getting a fight for Conor McGregor, I mean, there are reasons that just. Conor McGregor fighting alone would be a big deal and against someone that uh, he, he'd probably be very heavily favored against a Paul Felder. I, I honestly, stylistically, I, I have no problem with that fight at all. I just would be I would be stunned if Paul Felder would be able to get a fight of that magnitude against Conor McGregor. But I'm, I'm very curious where where this guy ends up if uh, if we're considering the fact that, you know, he has the history training with Donald Cerrone, that he is a training partner with Anthony Pettis. Like these are all uh, kind of guys I wouldn't expect him to be with. Um, and, and then where, where are you looking at necessarily? I could definitely see if Gaethje won next weekend. That would be maybe where you, you shoot for if you're Paul Felder to fight Justin Gaethje. The thing is, you know, I mean – I, I think so. That makes sense. He already sort of shot that shot when Gaethje won uh, his last fight. Of course, mm-hmm. Felder's riding higher now. Barbosa's a bigger win. Um, does Gaethje want that fight? Yeah. Because I Gaethje mean, beats Donald Cerrone. It's like, what does a Paul Felder fight do for you if you're Justin Gaethje? Yeah. If, if you're Gaethje, you, there's really only – you know, there's only McGregor, Ferguson, and Habib really are the only fights that make sense for you to take if you get past Cowboy. So, so yeah, I, I mean, but the, you never know. I mean, like it, even if he wins, and let's say the UFC puts Habib versus uh, Tony, then you know there's a long way to wait. So you know, gotta get in there again. How about how about Paul Felder and Dustin Poirier? Um, that's a great fight. That's, that's a really good fight. I think, uh, Poirier might need some time off, uh, for a while. I mean, Felder might need some time off. Um, but yeah, that's an exciting fight. It's a great style fight to sort of like a boxers going at it. Yeah, it, that could be possible. Maybe you, you look at like that December pay-per-view, something like that, or maybe early next year, potentially. Um, but there's options. There's, there's options. But, uh, Paul Felder, this was a really good win for him, uh, avenging this loss to Edson Barbosa. And Barbosa, I mean, we talk about the momentum that, uh, Felder has. I mean, Barbosa, he's kind of just been the victim of fighting some really great guys. He's now lost four of his last five. He had those, uh, dominant losses to Khabib and Kevin Lee. Then he had a win over Dan Hooker in there, and he was coming off the Justin Gaethje loss this past March, heading into this fight. It's just, I think he's an example of just the depth at this lightweight division and fighting some really top guys in all of this. And that's kind of how this division can swing at times, where all of a sudden you have a lot of L's attached to your name, and that's where Edson Barboza's at now. Yeah, I mean, he's fought the best of the best, and, you know, he's come up short uh, a bit in there. Um, always exciting. People are never disappointed to see him uh, go at it. But, uh, I mean, this, you know, this was a tough one because it was such a close fight. The, I, the thing is, in the third round, you know, he was fighting as if he had a two-round lead because his, his corner told him he had the first two rounds. And so mm-hmm. he was on the back foot. And it's like, you know, that's a major mistake. You, you, you can't, you, you know, you can't be reckless, but you can't 
go into a third round of a close fight, assuming you have the lead. And I don't know if you blame the corner or him, uh, but yeah, tough pill to swallow. And uh, I mean, super exciting fighter. So people are going to be happy to see him, but uh, maybe, maybe he's somebody who you can put, I mean, he's somebody you can put in there with Conor McGregor. That'd be exciting. Main event was Khabib Nurmagomedov, Dustin Poirier for the UFC lightweight title. Uh, Nurmagomedov, his first fight since the Conor McGregor win last October, uh, returning 11 months later. Dustin Poirier has just been on a tear over the last two years with wins over Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, and Max Holloway. That is insane. Yeah, it's an in- incredibly impressive uh, run. And he was well-deserving. I think nobody, even though everybody's been clamoring for Tony Ferguson for such a long time because we've been denied the Tony Habib fight, there's nobody out there who's saying that uh, Dustin Poirier did not earn this spot or even earn that interim title that he was carrying into this fight. No, and it it was a real testament given... Uh, all these quality wins. Dustin Poirier, I mean, since this guy returned to lightweight in 2015, what an unbelievable run uh, this guy has been on with the lone blemish being that knockout loss to Michael Johnson. Other than that, um, and a no contest with Eddie Alvarez that he defeated him in the rematch over. I mean, it's been a stellar, stellar run he's had uh, for four plus years here at lightweight. But uh, Nurmagomedov is just at another level than any other lightweight in history. Um, he comes out in the first round and Poirier does stop a takedown early on, but Khabib just persists, gets him down. And then it's Poirier seemed to have a game plan of any time Khabib would go for a takedown, he would lock his arm around and attempt a guillotine. And it was of no consequence to Khabib who just showcased patience throughout, was able to get out of any threats from Dustin Poirier and then would have top position and threatened with the mount. He was working for neck cranks in the first. Uh, and then Poirier was trying to reverse the position, but each time it just was neutered by Khabib, who just kept him on bottom, and Dustin found himself in a worse position. Uh, dominant first round from Khabib, I thought 10-8. In the second, Poirier had his best moment coming out of the gate and just threw some wild shots, and some landed with the right hand, and then tried for the guillotine. Again, Khabib gets out, and now he's inside control. Uh, he was 4-5 for five on his takedowns by this point, cut Poirier by the left eye, and it was more pressure from Khabib on top uh, to end the second. And in the third round, there's a right hand from Khabib that uh, he sets up for the takedown. Poirier gets his deepest guillotine of the fight. It looks pretty tight, but but again, Khabib gets out, and now he's on top. And this time, he is not wasting any more time. He takes his back, gets a rear naked choke, and as he leans back, Dustin taps out at 2.06 of the third round. Just a phenomenal performance from Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is now 28-0 and and certainly needs to, as we constantly go to these discussions of the best of all time, like this guy has now started to really make quite the campaign for himself. It's it's exceptional. I mean, he's never looked even remotely close to in trouble. I mean, I know people talk about that Connor won that third round against him, but if you go back to that fight, I don't think he lost that third round. I I mean, now at the time I did score for Connor, so you know revisionist history and all that. But uh, if you look at it. He's kind of just playing with him. He's just choosing to engage in the stand-up until he decides to take him down at the third, at the end of the third round and remind him what it's about. And then, of course, Connor, that's where he says, you know, it's just business and all that after that. So 
yeah, he's been incredible. Never looked in trouble. The most dominant champion by far ever. The most dominant fighter in UFC history. And yeah, very close to, uh, making, uh, undisputed claim for sort of that goat status. Yeah. I just, you know, given the level of where Dustin Poirier is, how Nurmagomedov performed against him, I mean, it was, it was something else to watch. Um, this, Post-match could not have been the more polar opposite from UFC 229. Uh, there was no brawling. Instead, both men wore the other's t-shirt, and Nurmagomedov is going to sell Dustin's shirt and give the money to Poirier, um, I believe for the uh, the foundation that Poirier has, where he helps a lot of... Um, uh, a lot, a lot of, um, charities that he donates, uh, the money to. So it was very respectful afterwards. Uh, Nurmagomedov was, uh, just received uh, a hero's embrace here with this victory. And I guess coming out of this, uh, Conor McGregor tweeted out, book my rematch for Moscow. And what is going to happen with Habib Nurmagomedov next, Phil? Uh, he's assuming everybody's healthy. He's going to fight Tony Ferguson after he takes a break. He's going to fight Tony Ferguson when he decides he wants to fight because that's, you know, he's, he's the power dealer, but he's not going to be fighting Conor McGregor. He just has no interest in it and it, and it doesn't really do anything for him other than make him a lot of money. And he's already made a lot of money and he's also made it clear that, um, while he wants to get paid what he's worth, it's, you know, making money is not his priority. It's his fighting legacy. It's his sporting legacy that's important to him. So I expect him and the UFC to try to do their best to make the Tony Ferguson fight happen for all those reasons. I think you have to give this fight to Tony Ferguson. Like, I understand how Conor McGregor upsets all uh, kind of championship plans, but uh, to me, it's just so obvious the fight to make at the moment. You can put McGregor against any of these top guys. It will be very big. Um, but I really hope that they do go to the Ferguson fight. It's been teased so many times. It's fallen apart so many times. I really hope that we can get this fight at the, at this point. But uh, totally dominant performance here by uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. After the, the card, they gave out four performance bonuses to Nurmagomedov, Otman Azatar, Bilal Muhammad and Muslim Salikov. And I thought for sure Felder and Barbosa were getting fight of the night. I love that fight, but no, no bonus love for Paul Felder and Edson Barbosa. Yeah, pretty, pretty upsetting. It was a great fight. They, I mean, the, they were throwing with such heavy shots. Like it felt, it, it sort of felt like a heavyweight fight or a light heavyweight fight where like any shot was going to knock somebody out. Didn't happen that way, but. Uh, I mean, they both really uh, went at it. So, yeah, kind of surprising they didn't get those bonuses. Now, uh, just before we wrap up, I just want to throw a few news items at you, Phil. Yes. Uh, we're going to do, do an impromptu uh, okay. bonus bit here okay. on the show. I know one of them. Uh, well, we got a big fight announcement on yeah. Saturday. Uh, ESPN reporting Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal to headline – UFC 244 at Madison Square Garden on November the 2nd. This after talks between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington broke down. Then, according to ESPN, they tried to do Usman versus Masvidal. That could not happen. Then there was a scenario where they were actually going to strip Usman of the title to have Masvidal fight Leon Edwards before they came to the realization that the biggest fight we can make is not involving a championship. It's Masvidal, Nate Diaz, and I am so happy that they 
are not so tied to this notion that we must have a title fight in the main event because this Masvidal Nate Diaz fight, it is the biggest of the options I just listed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think what was pretty clear from uh, the event uh, a few weekends ago was that Nate Diaz is still a massive star and people really want to see him. And he's he's one of the top stars in the UFC and he should only be main eventing events. And he absolutely can main event Madison Square Garden. And especially with such an awesome opponent like Jorge Masvidal, who's as hot as ever and really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a no brainer. I mean, you know, there's financials that we're not privy to, but in terms of the best possible fight that the fans want to see, oh yeah, bring it on. It, it is interesting about, you know, kind of the structure of this deal. Like, I'd be very curious to know, because you would think these two are in the main event position. You would figure like they are figured in somehow to get, you know, some percentage of the buys that, that go towards this fight. And for future now, guys that are not champions that are going to feel, hey, I want the same deal as well. I think all that stuff is really fascinating that these two could pull it off, that they've always been able to restrict that kind of, um, you know, pay-per-view points for champions. And, and thus you can, you can I'm limit. Gonna, I'm not so sure that Masvidal is getting pay-per-view points on this one. I'm, I'm pr- sure he's getting an enormous amount. Here. Yeah. I'm sure he's, yes. I don't know I'm if sure it's a percentage yes. or straight up yes. uh, purse, but yes. it's, Tremendous money that these two are going to make for, sure. for this fight. For sure. And, and they should. And good for them. It's it's the biggest fight to make of the options here. This is bigger to me, a lot bigger than Usman and Covington, even though I do want to see that fight. I mean, you put Nate Diaz in there, it's bigger than, you know, most fights that the UFC can put on. Then you add Jorge Masvidal, who's also now one of these sort of like, he's emerged as one of these top stars in the UFC. It, it definitely is the I think it's the biggest fight that they can put on right now because they don't have a dancing partner for McGregor. And like I said, Nate Diaz is a massive star and he's riding high off a very impressive win. I really wish this was happening pre uh, ESPN era because I would love to know what this card ends up doing on pay-per-view because now we don't really get those numbers because of them in the U.S. being on ESPN+. Plus, But this would be a really interesting indicator to see how much bigger this is than your uh, rank-and-file pay-per-view show with uh, X-Champion on top. Yeah, and I mean, they still have an opportunity, and I fully expect them to stack this card as well. It's not just going to be a top-heavy card, I don't th- I don't think. I mean, it's MSG. They always try to fill it up with talent. So uh, I would uh, expect to see some other notable names show up there soon. Earlier this week, uh, Dana White stated they are not going to book BJ Penn again in a fight. Uh, this coming after uh, the latest incident outside of a club with the videos that uh, emerged on TMZ. Uh, do you agree with this call by Dana White or do you, or do you disagree? Uh, I mean, I agree. I mean, why would you pay somebody to fight when he's giving it away for free? So, you know, like, uh, I mean, I mean, that's the least, the, the, you know, the smallest reason to not do it, of course. I'm being facetious here. Uh, BJ Penn shouldn't have been, shouldn't be fighting in the UFC. He shouldn't have been fighting for the last few years. And it's just another sort of sad chapter in what has been, uh, very difficult, uh, you know, tail end of a career for, you know, somebody who's a legend, somebody I looked up to, like BJ Penn, when I first started 
doing jujitsu, like he was probably the number one guy I looked up to in MMA as uh, inspiration. And uh, yeah, it's definitely sad to see where his career has gone. His legacy is going to be one that's very interesting to look at 10 years from now, because you're going to have a generation that looked at BJ Penn as one of the greatest of all time. And can, conversely, a generation of fight fans that only saw what we've seen since, you know, 2000, 2010 onward. That's complete polar opposite. You know, I think it's been like that for quite a while. Like uh, my, uh, I've got some friends and uh, relatives who are like super casual. They maybe catch a couple events a year and, you know, forever I've always talked about, you know, how awesome BJ is and, you know, they catch him every once in a while and they're like, you know, what's, you know, it's always disappointment. It feels like it's been disappointment for so long. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's sad that, an entire generation doesn't realize how special he was. Mm -hmm. And both have to be applied to his legacy. I don't think you can dismiss either one. No, you definitely can't dismiss it. Like, yeah, like that's, that's all the entire story of, of BJ Penn. Uh, and two quick fights that are coming up next weekend. We have Donald Cerrone, Justin Gaethje in Vancouver. I don't know how this fight can disappoint, uh, but we have five rounds of these two. Uh, do you have a pick next week, Phil? Um, I'm going to go with Justin Gaethje. I think he's riding high. I think his last fight, he showed that he's able to take a different approach to fight a little smarter and more tactical. Um, and I think that he's going to be able to tough out, you know, some of Cowboy's precision and, and he's going to weather the storm. And I mean, it's a close one. Cowboy, Cowboy is durable. He often surprises when um, I kind of count him out. Um, but it's it's an exciting one. I'll be watching. And the next time you and I will be here after UFC 243, where they are going to Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. Oh Welter, or sorry, welterweight, middleweight championship fight between Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya. They have, they have said they have sold over 40,000 tickets. How frightened is Dana White going to be, uh, to get a phone call from either Robert Whitaker or Israel Adesanya from now until October the 6th? If, if this fight were to fall apart due to any kind of injury, I I don't I don't know what would happen with uh with this card. Yeah, it would be a tough it would be a tough sell. Um, like I mean, we've got Holly Holm versus Raquel Pennington and Ally Quinta versus Dan Hooker as your like number two and three fights on this card. Yeah, those are those are quality fights, but not a thing that can even you know those can't even be main events on a fight night. So uh, yeah, it, it is definitely a. a uh, event that is banking on that main event. They weren't, weren't they trying to put, they wanted to put Holloway on that card too. Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky yeah. was kind of discussed, but it's just, I mean, Holloway just fought. It was, I, I think, really a leap of faith to think he was going to be able to go from that Frankie Edgar fight end of July and bounce right back into a camp. But yeah, like these stadium shows, it's just something that, like, man, you're, you're so, um, you, you want to hopefully have a, f a few fights deep that, you know, if, if the worst happens and, I mean, God, we've seen enough cards where stuff has happened as, and fights with Robert Whitaker especially. But it, on paper, that like that's an awesome, awesome main event. But certainly I think they will be very happy once that fight uh, actually makes its way into the octagon. Yeah, I think they have, um, you know, a tough time with this event because it kind of fell in their lap a little bit. Like, you know, they weren't planning to go out to Australia again this year. They'd already been. 
And, uh, you know, Robert Worker was supposed to headline that event and it didn't happen. And, you know, when Israel Adesanya gets the win, you know, it really makes sense to put the event together. So, you know, they scramble to find a location, not easy to find a stadium, uh, appropriate venue for a big fight like this. And, you know, they kind of book it a little late. So, you know, tough to get some names on there. Having Holly Holm there is, is a big deal though, because that is the place where she did knock out, uh, it, in Australia is where she knocked out, uh, Ronda Rousey and really made a name for herself. So I do think that she still has some cachet over there. But yeah, it would be devastating if the main event fell apart. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our UFC 242 post show. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and Phil for joining me as always. And you can catch Phil each week here at postwrestling.com answering five questions and God knows what questions we'll have for Phil uh, this week coming out of this show. But, uh, Phil, thank you as always for joining me. Uh, a rather early night. You can even catch some Bellator tonight, which is starting uh, momentarily. Oh, that's great. Awesome. I think I'll do that. You know, usually I'm I'm a few beers deep for these things. Uh, I haven't had any yet. So maybe I'll crack one uh, now, watch some Bellator I think it's the tournament today. It's the start of the Featherweight Grand Prix. And then on top, you've got Ryan Bader and Czech Congo. Well, that's pretty, that's a pretty good fight. It, it, it's a good a, Bellator card. You yeah. know, like, I mean, hey, but, hey, like, I know Czech Congo goes not like some premier heavyweight, but, you know, Bader's not a, not a true heavyweight and he's out there at heavyweight defending that belt that he won. Awesome. I think Ryan Bader going to Bellator was a great career. I, I, I totally agree. I think I'm, I like, as you, just before you said it, I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, he sort of set himself up almost as like, he's sort of like the one guy, like, yes, him and John Jones fought, but it was several years ago. I could see people being interested in seeing that fight again, especially if he can continue to win. The fact that he's looked good at heavyweight. Uh, I think people might be interested. Obviously, different promotions, so it's like you know fantasy matchmaking here. But I think yeah, he did a tremendous job going to Bellator, and you know went from being someone in the middle of the pack to being you know uh, you know big fish in a small pond, so to speak. All right, well that's Bellator two twenty six. Phil and I will be back after UFC two forty three in a couple of weeks, so we'll chat with you all then. Thank you for listening.